God, we are thankful for this text. We're thankful for uh, the challenge that comes with being your people. God, I pray as we consider each of these virtues that you, by your spirit, would give us eyes to see what it looks like to put these on. Lord, I pray you'd give us the humility to receive even conviction from you today. God, we want to be your people who is holy and stands differently than the world. So help us to do that, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, growing up, did you ever play dress up? Did you ever uh, pretend to be a, a superhero or uh, pretend to be a, a princess? Maybe you uh, uh, borrowed your parents' clothes and you pretended to be uh, kind of a grown-up for a short period of time. Uh, maybe uh, even today you, you dress up uh, for Halloween every year. Or maybe you have uh, young kids or grandkids or nieces and nephews, and, and they like to play dress up, and so you kind of join in with them, and you're the prince or the princess or uh, some other character. Well, my girls are in that stage of life where they love to play dress up. They love to put on these, these huge gowns and the tiaras, and, and they love to pretend to be you know, Elsa or Cinderella or Aurora. And they love playing dress up because whatever they put on, it gives them permission to be someone different for a short period of time. They act differently. When they put on that dress, they put on the elegance of a princess. They put on the, uh, the, the authority of a princess at times. And then when I play with them, I'm always the prince, but because they're putting on this level of authority, I end up being the butler every single time for some reason. But they love this because playing dress up allows them to be someone new just for a moment. In an interview with uh, one of the actresses from Downton Abbey, which I know is some of uh, your favorites, and I was into it until um, Matthew died early on. I, I just tapped out. Sorry, spoiler alert, if you haven't seen that, uh, that's what happens. Um, but there's this interview where uh, she was asked about the show, and she described how putting on those amazing costumes from the early 1900s affected her. She said that her posture changed, even uh, off the show. E even the way that she communicated, she said, became more refined. She said that wearing the costume put her into the character that she was portraying. And putting on the dress, she said, made her into someone new. Now, when we get to Colossians chapter 3, verse 12, and Paul talks about putting on or some translations, it talks about clothing yourselves. It's very easy for us, very tempting for us to assume that Paul is calling us to play dress up. It's very tempting for us to think that Paul is calling us to pretend to be someone that we're not. And yet that's not Paul's aim here. Paul's aim is different than this actress from Downton Abbey, than from many of our kids who are playing dress up. Paul is not calling us to put on these new clothes, these godly virtues that will then turn you into someone new. That's not what Paul is saying here. What Paul is actually saying is because you already are new in Christ, you need a new wardrobe. You need to put on the new clothes in this new man that's defined by these godly virtues. It's really important. That's why we've spent so much time talking about our identity in Christ, who we are in Jesus. We've talked about our position in Jesus and how that empowers our practice. Even last week's challenge, we looked at the two commands in verse 5, to put to death 
verse eight, to, to put away the old worn out clothes of the old man. Those clothes don't fit you anymore if you are in Christ, take them off. And those old clothes were described as you know, sexual morality and anger and wrath and, and sinful speech. So if last week's message was about uh, what not to do or what clothes to put off, today's message is about what to put on. What are we to pursue? And this from Paul is the Christian's wardrobe, these godly virtues. Let's begin in the first part of verse 12, because here we are reminded once again of our unchanging identity in Jesus. Paul here, the first thing that he wants us to understand is that our new wardrobe reflects our identity in Jesus. Again, Paul is communicating who we are positionally so we can live that out practically. And if you notice in verse 12, he uses three descriptors. He calls us chosen and holy and beloved. Now, these three descriptors are not random for Paul, but these were common descriptors, kind of the standard way of describing Israel in the Old Testament. This is a way of, of describing the people of God. Well, Paul's using these descriptors now, and he is applying it to the new people of God in the new covenant. He does that intentionally to remind the people here at Colossae and even us today that the people of God is no longer just the Jews, but the people of God now include the Jews and the Greeks, the slave and the free, everything in verse 11 and more, that it includes a, a diverse group of people that needed to be reminded that their deepest and most important identity marker is now that they are in Christ. It's not that those other distinctions go away or that they're unimportant, but that they have been eclipsed by something deeper and that is who they are in Christ and now they are chosen, holy, and loved by God. Now the reason why uh, this identity is unchanging is because it's not dependent upon your performance as if you've earned this new status. That's what he's getting at when he talks about that you've been chosen by God, that this is based upon God making the first move, God initiating. In fact, this word speaks of the gracious and the sovereign initiative by God, whereby he draws men and women to himself for his own glory. And then he uses the word holy, or set apart. You are to be different than the world. You are to look dramatically different than those who are not in Christ. And then he talks about us being loved, that God has set his undying affection upon you, not because you are so special, but because God is so special, that God loves you not to make much of you, but to make much of himself. Now, these three descriptors, this identity that we have in Jesus is all because of Christ. It's all because the one who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God, 2 Corinthians 5, 21. And what that means is that because the sinless son of God, Jesus Christ, got up on a cross 2,000 years ago and he died in the place of sinners, something radical happened for those who put their faith in Jesus. What happened there is that Jesus takes your sin, takes your punishment, absorbs the wrath of God, 
And in exchange, he gives you his righteousness. He gives you his holiness. He gives you his blamelessness. It's an unbelievable exchange that makes you saved. And this is all because of the Lord Jesus. Look, your faith in God, which is a gift from him, is evidence of the fact that God has chosen you. And so because of your faith in Jesus, all of Jesus' righteousness is now transferred into your account, and you are forever loved by God. This is who you are. This is your identity that is unchanging. And it's really important to know before we dive into these five virtues, that these five virtues don't earn this new identity, but these five virtues are a reality in your life because of what Jesus has already done for you. Okay, so this is not a moralistic message for us today that, hey, be, be more virtuous and God's gonna love you more. Pursue these virtues and, and you're gonna have the favor of God in your life. No, 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 it's because of who you are in Jesus and the power of the gospel that we now have a new wardrobe. Okay, that order is really important. All right, let's talk about this new wardrobe here. This is verses 12 through 14. It is really a call to change our spiritual clothes. It's to take off the old man's clothes and to put on the new man's clothes with these godly virtues. What Paul is doing is he's really just explaining the new man that he mentioned in verse 10 that this new man that's being renewed in knowledge after, uh, after its, uh, its creator. Paul's point here is that the new man has a new wardrobe. Look, it's been said that the clothes do not make the man, right? But, but the man is reflected oftentimes with the clothes that he wears. It's kind of Paul's point here is that our conduct and our practice is to reflect the image of Christ. And so we put on the new clothes through a deeper and deeper knowledge of who Jesus actually is. Now let's talk about this verb here, to put on. What's important about this verb is the tense that it's in communicates urgency. It communicates an immediacy. You could almost translate this phrase in the most raw way possible. Paul is saying, don't put off putting on. Paul's saying, put these on and continue to put them on. All right, now, to put on these virtues means to envelop yourself with these traits. I want you to track with me the, the clothing metaphor that Paul is using here because it's really, really helpful to put on these traits is to wrap yourselves up with these traits as if you're putting on a shirt or a sweatshirt or your clothes, that you're putting intentionality behind it. You're making sure that you're thinking through what you're wearing and how people are seeing uh, what you are wearing. And since each of these traits are perfectly seen in Jesus, to put on these traits is really to clothe yourself with the Lord Jesus, Romans 13, 14. It's to immerse yourself in Christ, to be so focused upon Christ that you resemble how it is that he lives. Now, Paul does give these five virtues, and I want you to think about them as if they are five main pieces of clothing within the Christian life. And as we go through each of these, I'm just going to describe them and define them for us so we know what we're talking about here. But I want you to be asking yourself the question, where am I weakest in these virtues? Where am I most inconsistent? 
And where am I strongest? By God's grace. Where am I most consistent? And if you have the courage today, ask a friend that same question about yourself. Ask your spouse. Ask maybe people in your small group. Remember, the new man puts on these virtues. We want to grow in them. And sometimes we need community in order to speak into that. All right, let's talk firstly. The, the, the first um, item here is a compassionate heart. Compassionate heart. Now, the more literal translation here is to have bowels of mercy. All right, now the, the image there and, and really the meaning behind it is for us to be so filled with a tender-hearted mercy that, that what defines us in the deepest parts of who we are is compassion. It, it's having this soft, kind disposition of the hearts. It's having this deep care and concern, even a sensitivity and sympathy towards other people. And it's important that compassion is not dependent on how you feel in the moment, that we're not compassionate people because I feel like it or because I don't feel like it, I give, my permission not, I give myself permission not to be uh, compassionate. Nor is it dependent on if someone deserves your compassion, right? But we are compassionate to others because God himself has shown compassion to us. It's the first article of clothing. Secondly, the next one here is kindness, kindness. Now, we, we, we kind of understand the idea of kindness, but kindness is not just a static emotion. Kindness is expressed compassion in word, deed, and attitude. It's action that reveals uh, compassion. And it takes on different forms, right? It could be a, a kind word. It could be a note of encouragement. It could be a, an act of service. It could be praying for somebody. It, it could be like what one member in our church did for me last night is to uh, make me Rice Krispie treats and put them on uh, my doorstep yesterday. Thank you very much, right? We have kindness in all kinds of different ways, but it's action-oriented. And then thirdly here, we have humility, which is one of the important things uh, in this list. Because when you think about the opposite of humility, which is pride, pride operates uh, around the notion that I am at the center of the universe. I am king. I am queen. Everybody else revolves around me. And if you have that mindset, it's impossible to be compassionate, to be kind, to be patient and meek. It's impossible to think outside of yourself. And so we need humility because humility is thinking rightly about yourself. It's not being overly impressed with your significance, right? It's not having a too high view of yourself, but it's also not degrading yourself. It's having an accurate view of who you are. Or as Keller puts it, of course, it's not thinking less of yourself, but it's thinking of yourself less or at all. I, I felt this to be true. When, when you're talking to somebody, you know that you're with someone who is humble when they rarely talk about themselves, right? When, when they resist kind of that knee-jerk reaction to hijack the conversation and to put it on a topic that puts them in a positive light, Right? You know you're with someone who is humble when you're talking with them and they consider you so much more important than themselves that they are so concerned and so focused on you. They're asking questions about you and not trying to draw the conversation on themselves. 
It's humility. And then we have meekness here. The next one, meekness or gentleness in some translations. This does not mean weakness, but it means having a controlled strength. It's having the ability to restrain anger or to restrain strength or to restrain impatience. The picture here is one of a, of a wild horse that's been tamed by the grace of God. Now, implicit in this word is a, is a willingness to give up the right to be right, to give up the right to, to defend yourself or to win. That meekness is most tested when you're wronged, when you've been offended, or when you start to get defensive. That's meekness. And then the fifth one here is, uh, is patience. Patience, of course, means long-suffering. We don't always use that, that phrase uh, now in today's culture, but uh, it means having the ability to actively trust in the purposes of God in the midst of the hard. Okay, so patience is not just enduring difficulties. It's not just being passive in hard circumstances, but it's actively trusting in the purposes of God in hard circumstances. And it does impact uh, how you think about time, right? Patience acknowledges that your timetable doesn't always match up with God's timetable. And so there's a level of space, uh, both with God and with other people, that other people are in process of looking more and more like Jesus. So you're giving them space. You're being patient with them. Now, if you put all of these virtues together, and of course, there's a lot more that we could say about them. Here's a, here's a nice summary by uh, John Kitchen. He says that a heart of compassion deals with our attitude towards others and their difficulties. Humility is our attitude towards the self, and patience is how we deal with others. Okay, so these five articles of clothing, Paul says in verse 13, are most clearly seen in these two actions that he says. That you look at bearing with one another in verse 13, and also forgiving one another. Now for Paul here, he, he's trying to be helpful. He's not just trying to give random virtues, but he's trying to connect the dots. And let's say, hey, you put on these pieces of clothing here. What does it look like in action? Well, in this church, in this context, they're most clearly seen in bearing with one another and forgiving one another. And we know that Paul is pivoting here because these are participles, which is different than the five virtues that bearing with one another and forgiving one another is the natural outgrowth of having these virtues. So let's talk about bearing with one another. What does this really mean? To bear with one another is to lovingly put up with each other. It's to embrace the messiness of dealing with each other. And I think what's implied here is that when you're in biblical community, when you're part of the church or you're part of a small group, you will have plenty of opportunities to, to apply this, of bearing with one another. And part of the reason for that is because we're different. If you look around this room, we have differences. That the body of Christ is diverse. And Paul mentioned this even in verse 11, but when you think about even Pennington Park Church, we have a lot of differences. We, we come from different backgrounds. We have different ages and life stages. We have different levels of spiritual maturity. We have different preferences. We have different sports teams that we root and cheer for. 
We have different ethnicities, and, and the list goes on and on and on. We have these differences that can sometimes lead us to having disagreements, which is why we need to bear with one another. But let me press into that a little bit more. I think if we get to the root of that issue there, the reason why we need to bear with one another is because oftentimes we are unbearable, if we're really honest. Like there are times in which all of us can be argumentative, can be angry, can be selfish, can be flippant, can be reactive, can be sarcastic, can, can be indifferent to others. In, in short, there are times in our lives in which we can be difficult. And so when you're inside a church and you're in community and you're being known, there will be tension, there will be conflict, there will be disagreements. That's what happens when you're close to people. And yet what Paul is calling us to here in bearing with one another is to be the kind of people where it's hard to be offended. It's hard to be annoyed, where we're not quickly drawing conclusions about other people, where we're not the kind of people where others have to kind of walk on eggshells around. In short, bearing with one another makes unity possible as we live out our position in Christ practically. And look, because Jesus bears with us all the times in grace, we are to bear with one another. Now, the next one here, forgiving one another. This is absolutely powerful when this happens, especially in the body of Christ. To forgive one another is to freely offer grace when it is not deserved. Now, in this particular scenario, Paul has in mind that a complaint has been raised, but whenever there's a complaint within the body of Christ, there is this lean-in posture to quickly forgive, right? Like, the Bible is clearly against any type of, of internal grudge between the people of God. The Bible is against the, these metaphorical walls that can sometimes be put up between the people of God. And the impetus here is the fact that God has forgiven us, so we should forgive one another. I love how C.S. Lewis uh, puts this. He says, everyone thinks forgiveness is a lovely idea until he has something to forgive. But to be a Christian means to forgive the inexcusable because God has forgiven the inexcusable in you. We are to forgive one another. And then lastly here, the last piece of clothing is a type of love that binds everything together in perfect harmony. Look, within the, the clothing metaphor here, the, the Christian wardrobe, love is kind of the outer garment. Love is the coat. It's the, the one accessory piece that completes the outfits. It's, it's the virtue here that without it, everything else kind of falls apart. So don't think about love as if it's a, just another virtue. It's the supreme virtue. It's the most important virtue because of what Paul says about it. It's what binds everything together. Now, this is a type of love that's not defined how the world defines love. This is a type of love that's defined by the Bible. That, that could be a whole message in and of itself. But love is the summary of the law, Galatians 5.14. Love is the first part of the Holy Spirit, Galatians 5.22. Love is actually the ultimate mark 
of being a true disciple of Jesus, John 13, 35. Love is the greatest of all Christian virtue, 1 Corinthians 13, 13. Love is the power that pulls everything together. And look, when you think about all of these virtues, all the things that we've said so far this morning, none of those virtues can attain its full potential or its full power without love motivating and love actually uniting. That's why Paul says that the result here is harmony or unity. Look, love is is so known, it's so familiar, it, it can easily become kind of this cliche in the church where we wanna love God and love people, right? But I wanna kind of refresh us, renew our commitment to loving each other by coming to a familiar passage here, 1 Corinthians 13. I want you to hear the priority of love here, the non-negotiable. Paul says an outrageous thing here. He says, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. What? That's a, that's a crazy claim by Paul, but he goes on. He says, and if I have prophetic powers, have you seen that in your own life? If I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all that I have, And if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Wow, it's an unbelievable claim by Paul because what he just listed is a crazy level of spiritual maturity, right? Very few of us have seen some of these things on this list, the demonstration of these spiritual gifts and and ministry going on. And yet Paul says without love, it means absolutely nothing. What a challenge for us at Pennington Park Church to think about if this building was, was filled with people, if we did 20 services every Sunday, and if our ministries were absolutely packed and, and vibrant and powerful, and yet if we do not have love, it means nothing. Look, do you believe that this morning? Do you believe in this non-negotiable element of what Christian, healthy Christian community is all about? And does your pursuit of that love, your your pursuit and your priority of cultivating a love defined by the Bible, does that match your belief in it? Or some of us think, well, I mean, that list is pretty pretty cool, Paul. Like, maybe we can have some of those things, and if we have love, then it's not that big of a deal. No, Paul is saying love is the supreme virtue within the body of Christ. I want you to just... Listen to how he defines it a little bit earlier. In 1 Corinthians 13, he says, love is patient and kind. That reminds us of this virtue, this list that Paul gives in Colossians 3. He says, love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. Oh, church, if we live out love that's rooted in the scriptures here, we would be that city on a hill. We would be that beacon of light, that beacon of hope to the world around us. Well, we've talked about our unchanging identity in Christ 
We've talked about the need to change our spiritual clothes. Before we close this morning, I, I do want to give us three challenges to think about in terms of, of dressing ourselves every day. I want to give these three challenges that we need to be aware of and we need to avoid. Here's the first one. When you think about clothing yourselves and pursuing these things, avoid an urgentless virtues. <laughs> avoid lacking this urgency, this level of priority when thinking about putting on these virtues. Look, we've already talked about the tense of the verb to put on communicates urgency. It communicates this high priority. Look, if you lack urgency in putting on the new man, it's so easy to fall back in putting on the clothes of the old man in verses five and verses eight. So the call here is for each and every one of us to increase our urgency in looking at these virtues and putting them on on a daily basis. Look, our church will never be this thriving, healthy church that we all want it to be unless each and every one of us looks into the mirror of God's word and says, where do I need to grow? Where on this list am I weak? Am I inconsistent that by the power of the gospel, I can grow and become more consistently looking more and more like Jesus? Look, however strong you think you are in these virtues, all of us need to take steps in growing and putting on the new man. I think the reason why we need to do that, especially right now, is because of the cultural climate that we're living in. Like, I don't need to talk uh, very much about how, how often there are disagreements happening. It feels like left and right in the world that we live in, not just outside the church, but even inside the church. And for us to kind of accept the reality that for some of us, what we have gone through over the last six months as a community, as, as, a, as the people of God, those things have not caused a lack of virtues in some of us. They have just revealed the lack of virtues in some of us. That immaturity can hide well until there is sustained adversity. And for some of us, I know that's a hard truth to swallow this morning. It's not true of all of us. But the reality, when you look at yourself and, and look at this list, and maybe there's inconsistency, it's, it's easy to blame COVID. It's easy to blame the circumstances that are going on in your life when in reality, circumstances don't cause immaturity, they reveal them. And that, that's a hard pill to swallow when you're looking into the mirror of God's word, which is why we need urgency in developing these things. Look, we want to be a church that has a level of urgency in thinking biblically, yes and amen, but we wanna have a level of urgency of acting biblically, of putting on these virtues. Look, this is part of the reason why we're doing this fall class in just a couple of weeks. We've, we've got a four-week class coming and, and half of it's gonna be about thinking biblically, thinking about our thinking, but then the other half, it's gonna be about how to grow in these virtues, how to be godly people as we, as we think biblically and we look and live more like Jesus. That's why we're commending it to you. So that's the first kind of danger or challenge to think about when putting on these clothes. Here's the second one, is trying to develop these, these virtues without the people of God, right? These, these garments of virtue can only be worn in relationship with God's people. Look how tempting it is and, and 
how much easier it would be to think that we can develop these virtues without the people of God, without being in relationship, right? How, how much easier is it to think compassionately than to actually do compassion, right? For example, right? And, and the, the call here, these virtues are, are impossible to take root and to grow if you're disconnected from uh, the people of God. And some of you are thinking, well, pastor, I'm, I'm here on Sunday, I'm, I'm at church, and, and that's awesome, praise the Lord. But the call here is to be with the people of God, not just on Sunday mornings, but throughout the week so that you can grow in these virtues. And I know during this season, we have to get creative at times. I know some of us are, are being extra cautious with COVID. And so maybe you just need to be aware of the fact that if you're not being with the people of God physically and in relationship, that's going to impact the development of these virtues. Because sometimes we think we can develop these virtues if I'm in an environment where there's no stress and no pressure and, and, and where I'm not being stretched, that's when I can develop these virtues. But it's actually just the opposite. It's when you are being stretched. It's when you are in stressful situations, when you are in relationships with people and the messiness that that brings where you need to put on these virtues. And then thirdly, the last thing here that I'll say about these virtues, just to be aware of, is trying to put on these virtues without keeping the main one the main thing. It's to say to Jesus, Jesus, thank you for saving me, but as far as putting on these virtues, I've got these. I'm gonna do these in my own strength. I'm not gonna connect the power of the gospel to my sanctification. I'm just gonna do this in my own power, in my own ability. Look, the reality is, is that the only way to, to cultivate these virtues in community is by pursuing Jesus. It's by immersing yourself in Christ. It's by spending time with Jesus, praying to Jesus, reading about Jesus, talking about Jesus with other people, living with him so that you look like him. The reason why that's true is because Jesus perfectly epitomizes each of these virtues, that it's Jesus who is the compassionate one, Matthew 14, 14. It's Jesus who is kind, Romans 2, verse 4. It's Jesus who is humble, Philippians 2, 3. It's Jesus who is gentle in heart, Matthew 11, verse 29. It's Jesus who is patient, 2 Peter verse 3, uh, chapter 3, verse 15. It's Jesus who is forgiving, Ephesians 4, verse 32. Look, when you understand the beauty of Jesus as the core of the universe, you will long to live every day with him at the center of your life, producing these virtues. Look, I want you to be aware, don't fall into the trap of moralistic, Christless brand of spiritual clothes. Those don't fit you anymore. Those have holes in them. That's not who you are. You are the new people of God. Look, in a time in which these virtues are so foreign, a time in which compassionate listening to each other is so foreign, kindness in response to, to harshness, a, a, a humble disposition towards one another where you're not trying to convince everybody of your view on every issue, a time in which meekness and patience and forgiving one another is so foreign. Look, it should be the people of God that look remarkably different than the world around us. 
Look, is there anything that our world needs more right now than for the people of God who have been chosen, who have been set apart, who have been loved, to take these five virtues and to put them on consistently, genuinely, and powerfully so that the world around us says, I want that Jesus. I want what you have. You look different than what I look. Tell me about And the challenge I laid before you this morning is, is that true about the way that you're living your life? When you think about your relationships and the relationships with your coworkers and your friends and your spouse and and your kids and, and so on, are you putting on these virtues to such a degree that you look remarkably different than the world? Challenge I wanna ask you with, ask you this morning is which of these virtues do you need to grow in today? Which of them is the Holy Spirit shining a spotlight on them and saying, this smells of the old man. You need to get rid of this piece of clothing. You need to put on the new. Look, this morning, we want to give you an opportunity just to respond to the Spirit of God today as we did last week. Just want to give you a couple of minutes here just to interact with God, just to ask him, God, where do I need to grow? Where am I inconsistent? Where do I need to put off the old man and put on the new? And just sit there quietly and receive a word from the Lord to just shine a spotlight on where you need to grow and commit that to him. Let me pray for our time to do that. God, we pray in this moment that you would free us from distraction, that you would free us from being defensive or explaining away our sin. But God, you give us humility to say, Lord, show me my heart, show me my life. God, we want to look more and more like Jesus. We want to put him on. So we pray by your spirit that you'd help us to do that. Pray in Christ's name, amen.